it past another day. I think we're gonna do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Man Podcast, where we're all about connecting men in pursuit of their potential. We do so by embracing discomfort, cultivating community, and putting wind in each other's sails to unlock potential. And joining us today to help us put wind in our sails is Jonathan McLernan. He is an expert emotional eating coach. And Jonathan, you've also been a nomad living in five continents. You've traveled all over the world. And I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on the podcast. I wish we were where those uh, palm trees behind you were, though. <laughs> yeah, me as well. I, I joke that there's a secret location in Canada that only a select few Canadians know about. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to need that secret because I, I definitely would love the beach views. But I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to our audience and kind of just give them the elevator pitch on who you are, what you do, and, and we can kind of jump into more of that subject matter for today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've had a, I've had a really crazy sort of backstory, particularly from tw- the age 20 to 40. I just turned 40 this year. So I've been like a nanotech researcher, a marine engineer in the Navy, a traveling English teacher, a power line technician, a supplement store owner, an equipment operator in the <laughs> oil field, oil patch, as we call it. And now I run an online nutrition coaching business, as well as I mentor new coaches in terms of building a business. So I've done a lot of things. And some people often ask, well, why have you done so many things? And I think, well, it took probably took me a long time to figure out what I actually wanted to do with my life. Yeah. <laughs> so or I was just running from my true calling for for many many years because I was afraid to embrace what I'm really good at, which is which is coaching and mentoring. I love that man. And here's the thing: you, you mentioned something about running away from our purpose or trying a whole bunch of new things. A lot of a lot of people when they first want to start going on this journey, right? We wake up one day and we realize maybe this ain't it, right? This yeah, uh, what I'm yeah. doing. I'm just not feeling it. And so many people, I think it's upwards of 80% of people working a full-time job don't feel emotionally connected to what they do. They just do it for a check. There's so much more to life than that. But once you realize this ain't it, the question is, what is it? And I think that (laughs) that journey is so, so hard for some people to step on because they're afraid if the first thing they try doesn't work out, if the next thing they try doesn't work out, how are you able to kind of reset with each venture, which thank you for your service in the Navy, by the way, but yeah, how were you, how were you able to reset with each venture and keep that momentum going? I think what eventually happened is I would get to this point where I'm like, I can't keep doing this. And I'm literally going to rip my ears off or jam pencils into my eyeballs if I keep doing this. Like That's how strongly I felt about what it was I was doing. So there was this endless restlessness. And that was part of what led us, I think, to travel around the world as well. Maybe look, trying to find, like if I can't find this living in Canada, my wife's from Australia, we're like, let's just take off and travel the world and see if we find something there. So it was just never, never settling and... Mm-hmm kind of embracing that restlessness and saying like, our life doesn't look like the average sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe go to college, get a degree, get married, buy, get a mortgage, have kids, whatever. The journey looked, looked a little bit different. So it was just never giving to the restlessness and saying, you know, or, or pushing it aside and saying, it doesn't matter. It was like, there's something in here. There's something more that I could be doing. I don't know what it is. And I think that's, that's the hardest part when it comes to this idea of purpose. Like I, maybe I had this idea that it was going to be like a lightning bolt from heaven or something. Mm-hmm. It was like, like I think finding purpose is more like a journey of discovery. And you know, there's a lot of digging and you have to, or I had to figure out a lot of things that I, I figured out what I don't want to do before I ever figured out what I do want to do. Yeah. I, man, I say that all the time where people are like, I don't know where to start. And I'm like, just, just kind of start with what your interests are. And listen, if you don't like it, 
you've started building a list of eliminating what you don't want to do. And that helps guide you into what you want to do. And there's a lot of times where in that journey, you know, we call them peaks and valleys. We call them obstacles, detours, Mm -hmm. whatever they might be. There are things I think, call it God, call it the universe, whatever you believe in that will challenge us in that journey. One of which being you encountering a situation, I believe it was in South Africa where you survived an attempted murder. What was the yeah. scenario around that? And man, how, how do you how do you push on after that? <laughs> that was that was a really tough situation. And at the time of recording it, it was about eleven years ago now. Wow. But it leaves a lasting imprint. So we were just I'll, I'll give you the very short version. I'm actually writing a book as well. <laughs> so we, we can touch on that later. But essentially we were down in South Africa working with underprivileged young people, teaching life skills, helping them improve their employability, essentially. And we were working out on a nature reserve. And one night I was going back to the instructor's cabin, which is kind of nestled in the trees. And I got jumped by four guys who just smashed me across the head with rocks and then started, you know, kicking and stomping and beating on me. And yeah, it was a really, really rough situation. It's really interesting to go through a scenario like that. Mm-hmm. being violently jumped like at night all by myself because the truth is like time does sort of slow down like the brain is seems to be processing things more slowly but i remember having this thought like i can't die tonight mm-hmm. yeah which is really interesting all i thought about was seeing my wife my brother my mom and my dad again like that's that's you know everything that i've been pursuing in life in that moment didn't really matter what mattered was like my strongest most important human relationships and wanting to reconnect with them and so somehow I, I kind of found the strength to fight my way to my feet and break free. Like some people are like, you didn't stay around and fight. I'm like, man, <laughs> I was concussed. My face was covered in blood. Like they had knives. They didn't stab me. Fortunately, oh, like wow. I wasn't sticking around to try and prove something for ego's sake. Like, did you get I, a couple licks in? Nope. I'm like, I'm getting the hell out of here. You're like, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. It happened in, I couldn't tell you the exact time frame. It probably was only a few minutes that it took place. Because yeah. had they got probably one more hit across the head, I would have been unconscious and they would have just beaten me to death because they, they, these guys did it to another guy night, the night before, oh, actually. Man. So we found that out later when the cops eventually showed up. Like South Africa is a totally different situation. Mm-hmm. Most people are there, police officers to collect a paycheck and try and not get hurt. So they'll, they'll basically wait until the situation has resolved itself before they decide to show up. So like once the person's been dead, like, you know, killed or something, you know, it's just how it is, um, unfortunately. And maybe things have improved since the time that I've been there, but South Africa is a really, really rough place. It's a beautiful, beautiful country, by the way. And people, you know, the good people are incredibly hospitable and kind, and there's this amazing blend of cultures and whatnot. The downside is it's very violent. <laughs> and yeah. Everybody suffers. It's not not necessarily entirely a race issue. This was somewhat racial. I just say that I was a, it had nothing to do with me. Like they didn't know who I was, okay. but I was a representation of something they felt had historically oppressed them. And so, you know, because they could have just stabbed me, shot me, you know, just ended it. But it it was actually a part of it. There's a component to it that was about like taking something from you. Mm -hmm. We're going to make you suffer process. And ironically, that was the thing that probably allowed me to survive is I'm I'm like a pretty thick, strong guy. And I guess I have a thick skull. (laughs) And so that allowed me to kind of break free. So there's more details, but I think really what I I took away from that was I was very traumatized uh, having gone through that. We spent another four months still living in South Africa and sort of more incidents happened, although none, none quite as direct and violent as that one. And each thing just kind of layers on top of it. So my way of coping was to, I became a binge eating food addict. Mm. So I didn't turn to drugs or to alcohol, but I turned to food. That was how I started to cope with, because uh, after PTSD is awful, just violent, raging emotions out of nowhere, huge mood swings, 
sort of out of control thoughts in my head, things like that. Like, so it's, I almost sort of like, I didn't feel safe in my own head. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really disconcerting place to be because you can't, you can't switch your brain off. So that was what food was doing for me was providing a temporary break where I could switch. I could like basically force. It's like when you force a reboot. Yeah. 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 So, and I spent a number of years struggling with that. My thirties were really, cause it happened when I was 29. So most of my thirties were just a really big mental health battle. And in terms of that, and I, I see like at one point you would have like anxiety episodes multiple mm-hmm. times a day. And, and, you know, when it comes to emotional eating, I think so many of us don't think that emotions and our eating habits are linked together. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of us were like, Hey, this is just my habit. This is what I like to eat. And and when I tell yeah. people like, Oh, let's drink more water. Let's eat this. And like, well, that tastes nasty, but the, yeah, the yeah. emotion and the comfort of food could really be something that becomes addicting. Well, I call it changing the channel in my head. Mm. And yeah, so kind of as a result, like I fell into certain patterns of behavior that were really unhelpful, like some really, I don't say like hyper-masculine, but overcompensating behaviors from like racing motorcycles and powerlifting and heavy metal and all of this. I'm an empath and I'm like a teddy bear. Like I, I hug everybody I meet, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that's the kind of guy that I actually am. But it was, it was like sort of this protective thing I was doing, I guess. And and my wife used to call me the tin man. Like, and so, and this just all exacerbated, like shutting down and disconnecting from my emotions. And whenever I felt them, it was like, I got to make them go away. And so food was that. Interestingly, anxiety played a role in breaking my binge eating habit. Really? Because I would eat so much that it would feel like I couldn't breathe or panic attack. And so I wanted to eat and I still ate a lot of food, but I stopped myself because I was more afraid of the panic attack than whatever other discomfort I was feeling. Okay. So the anxiety kind of balanced out the habit of the binge eating. Yeah. Strangely enough, it's a weird blessing in disguise. So I get that, but I'm sure you're not liking the binge eating and you're probably not liking the panic attacks and and it's, (laughs) it's a duality that you probably don't want to be in between call it stuck between a rock and a hard place. What was the process of kind of unpacking that unraveling that, and then getting to the point where not only do you lose over a hundred pounds, but you, never find it again. You keep that weight off. Yeah. Well, I got help. And I think this is the biggest thing that we're afraid to do, especially as men is to ask for help. And here's the thing. I didn't know what I needed. So I didn't know what I needed for help. And so I tried a number of different things trying to get some kind of help, but it's hard. If I don't know what I need, I couldn't even communicate what I need to somebody else who might be trying to help me. And so it was, I don't want to say it was by accident, but when I hired a coach and, and I hired a coach, I mean, I hired multiple coaches and a lot of them didn't really work out partly because I was so messed up really. And I was thought I was hiring him to help me lose weight. And he was pretty jacked. And then, you know, he was over 40 and I kind of admired his physique. And I'm like, man, when I'm over 40, I'd like to have a physique like his, maybe that'll make me happy. Maybe I'll love myself instead of just hating myself. Cause that's the other thing. I, I really hated myself. Felt like my body had betrayed me, you know, yeah. just this battle of trying not to be obese. And it just felt like it was just an endless constant struggle against who I am. And so he modeled for me compassion. And I didn't know that was what I needed. And if you'd have told me that he was going to show me compassion, I probably wouldn't have put up a lot of resistance because I viewed compassion as, as really as sort of a soft, weak thing. I didn't really, really understand what compassion actually is. And so the way that I would explain it in, in, in a very simple analogy is like, if I came over to your house and I don't know, you're half down a bottle of Jack Daniels, mm-hmm. you know, if I, if I come and be like, Hey, Ted, what's going on? You're being stupid. You're an idiot right now. Why are you doing this? 
you're going to feel judged. So that doesn't make you want to change the behavior. It makes you want to hide the behavior. Don't mm-hmm. get caught next time. But on the other hand, if I come over and say, hey, man, looks like you're having a hard day. You're already halfway down. You might as well finish the whole thing. Well, that's called enabling, right? That's not helping you either. So compassion is, hey, man, like, how'd you get to this place? Let's look at understanding that without judgment. And the place of understanding without judgment, which is compassion, we can then create change. How do you... How do you find that opening to give somebody compassion? Because you mentioned that yeah. if you come over, because unfortunately, if I'm conditioned by others, by judgment, I might not even give you the opportunity to see that Jack Daniels half, half empty. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. You might smell it on my breath. You might be aware of it, but if I don't show yeah. it to you, how do you find that opportunity? This is something you can't really force. So yeah. I'll say the first four months that I worked with this coach, name is Scott, still is Scott, actually. First four months that I worked with him, I was really determined to prove that he wasn't going to succeed with me because <laughs> I didn't believe it was possible. And so there was a lot of self-sabotaging behaviors. Like I wanted to change, but I couldn't, I just kept seeming to sabotage everything I was doing as well. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was kind of like, I want to prove that I've tried everything so I can just give up. <laughs> <laughs> and just, you know, that's just a tired, exhausted brain saying, saying like, I'm just tired of the struggle. I'm just tired of this being so hard. I'm tired of just fighting myself and my body all the time. I just want to give up and give in, you know, and just be fat mm-hmm. <laughs> basically because it feels easier. A lot of us try and do that. Right. And we look for a diagnosis or we look for a title to just be like, you know what, this is just how I am. Cause I don't want to try anymore. I don't want to try fixing this anymore. Like this is just me. And we hold on to that identity so much Mm. and we consciously want to change it or we subconsciously want to change it, but we're holding on to it for our, uh, with all our might that we don't want to transition. When did you finally give into your coach and start seeing that progress? So we started working together in July of 2017 and it would have been October of 2017. So what is that about four months later? Yeah. And, you know, it really came from him asking a a very powerful question at the right time. And so he asked me, if you make a list of all the things you love and value, how far down the list do I go before I spot your name? Wow. (laughs) It sounds like, so the answer to the question I asked earlier, how do you find the window to show compassion? Sounds like it's patience. It sounds like it's like building the relationship and just being Mm -hmm. there. And like your coach was going through it with you, right? Mm-hmm. You're probably working with your coach. You're trying to prove that, hey, this isn't going to work, man. But he's just like, I'm, I'm going to be resilient. I'm going to keep showing yeah. up. I'm going to keep showing up. And then the trust in the relationship builds. Yeah. And that, that's exactly, you hit the nail on the head, patience and trust. And so he waited until the opportunity, right, to ask that question. And, you know, a well-timed question can be life-changing. So mm-hmm. in that moment, I was, I really was speechless because you know, I realized I was not on the list. So it wasn't, I was like somewhere near the bottom. I was not on the list of things I love and value. <laughs> and that kind of shook me a little bit. Actually shook me a lot. One, because he was challenging maybe a belief I held about myself that I was actually worthy of love and self-love because maybe I misunderstood what self-love was as well. You know, like maybe we think emotional eating is, you know, eating ice cream and crying while watching reruns of Bridget Jones diary or something, you know? <laughs> Right. And like self-love is, you know, candles and bubble baths and eating chocolate and sipping, you know, wine or something like that. And it's like, that's not self-love necessarily. Yeah. So we changed what that looked like where, you know, and I would say like, it felt safe for me to view something, you know, as self-love. And it was really, well, it started with brushing my teeth. Mm-hmm. So brushing my teeth was an investment in myself. Mm-hmm. 
So the way that we change a belief, if we try to confront it head on, you know, meet force with force, it will be rejected every time. Yeah. You kind of got to slide in under the radar. Little subtle shift. There's a whole analogy that the audience can maybe explore after the fact, but it's the, it's the circus elephant who's tied to the stake. Mm-hmm. And we would look at it and go, why doesn't he just pull it out of the ground and walk away? Because he's a 10,000 pound powerful beast. And it's this little basically fence post he's tied to, but he's conditioned yeah. that he can't do that. Yeah. And so just something like brushing my teeth, every time I did that, I was just like, okay, this is, this is an investment in myself. It shows that I actually care about myself. Otherwise, I wouldn't brush my teeth. Mm-hmm. And then hydrating in the morning. So having a bottle of water beside my bed. And so every morning, drink some water to hydrate. And just reframing these little everyday actions, acts of self-care. And every, every little step was like one step away from this belief that I'm not worthy of, of self-love and, and care. Yeah. So as you're going through this, this process, right? The, the baby steps and yeah. the self-care, you start seeing it work. You see the reflection yeah. in your life. And as I tell people, it's like, hey, if, if you find the golden ticket or you find that, that magic something that works for you, a lot of us, we want to go to the mountaintops and share it with the world. And here you are yeah. kind of now in that process of coaching others through navigating their own weight loss journey through emotion. How do we start with that process? How do we focus on what's called, you call the, the brain-driven weight loss? Like, yeah. how, do we, how do we start that? Well, I can't force somebody. <laughs> that's, that's the key. So here's what happens, I think, is we get to a place as human beings where we are so uncomfortable. We're like, damn it, I have to change this. I'm so miserable and so uncomfortable. But this is where we make a mistake. Because we wait until we're so miserably uncomfortable, we just can't tolerate it anymore. We start looking for extreme methods to try and make it go as quickly as possible. This starts the cycle of, in the case of weight loss, like yo-yo dieting, for example, and going on fad diets and detoxes and cleanses and all these things to try to rapidly make stuff happen. But in truth, we're not changing who we are. We're not changing our sense of identity. So when like our sense of identity, like I was the jolly fat guy in my head. So trying to lose weight, those behaviors went against my sense of identity. I can only white knuckle that for so long until I would sabotage because my brain wants to the safety and familiarity of who I see myself to be. Mm. So the work of creating, and we can't really start in this when we work with people. The first place we'd start is they come to me for weight loss, right? Yeah. And I say weight loss is the proxy goal. Like, and nutrition is the cover story. Because right? mm. really, we live in the age of Google. You could Google a million different healthy meal plants. You can Google a million different ways to lose weight. And you'll find more information than I could ever hold in my brain. So this is not an information problem. And that's really, really important to understand. If it was an information problem, Google would have solved it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So now this is a human problem. This is a problem with, you know, because we look at this logically and go like, hey, my binge eating behavior didn't make sense logically. Mm-hmm. But when we know how the brain works, that behavior did make sense because it was solving a problem. It wasn't a great long-term solution, but obviously it was working because I kept doing it. So when we change our frame and we go, all behaviors make sense. We go, okay, now that I think this behavior is occurring for a reason, it's not just because I'm a hopeless loser and waste of skin. It's because my brain is using it as a solution to a problem. So we need to both address the problem and the solution. A lot of times when we focus so much on 
those fad diets and we focus on wanting a certain outcome, the impatience, right? We, we, yeah. we are where we are, but we want to undo what took years to do in 30 days or yeah, yeah. five minutes a day for 25 days and you'll see results. But the, yeah. re- <laughs> the reality is, like you mentioned with that, the identity thing, we hold on to who we are so much. And when we kind of step away, I mean, I can only imagine when clients start working with you and they say, Hey, we want to lose weight, but you're kind of like, Hey, weight's not your problem. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and everyone sort of has to like, I can't exactly tell them upfront that weight isn't your problem. Mm-hmm. It's a symptom, but I can guide them to the place where they come to that realization themselves. So this is a really important thing about coaching. I explain to people, I, I am a tour guide, so I'm not a Sherpa. <laughs> so you don't get to hand me your backpack to carry your problems yeah. because that doesn't teach you anything. You don't learn and grow and become a transformed human being. So if you hand me all your problems and I solve them and hand them back, you're just going to go back to those problems again because you're not a changed person. Mm-hmm. But as a tour guide, what I can do is maybe I'll help you unpack your backpack, figure out what you're carrying around, what you don't need and some new tools to equip you with for the journey. And then I'll go with you for a portion of that journey until you feel confident to do this by yourself. Yeah. It's a really cool experience. Knowing that, you know, anyone listening or watching on YouTube, they already have all the tools within themselves to accomplish the goals in which they want. And it's the reality of, like you mentioned, if information was the problem, Google would have solved it. But you have that information, you have the ability, you have it within you, but we hold on to these excuses. We hold on to these false beliefs, right? One false belief is, you know, eating healthy is too expensive. Or I don't have the time to make a healthy meal plan. And you even have you even have the the approach where eating healthy could be faster and easier than fast food. Yeah. We we fall into the default of, oh, let me go to McDonald's or or let me just get this food really quick. And how many times do we and I've fallen victim to this when I first started trying to eat healthy and first trying to change things around for myself was I would start and I would have my meal plans, but then I would plan to fail, which is failing to or you would Fail yeah, to yeah. plan, which is planning to fail. And then yeah. I would drive home from work and I'm hungry. And I'm like, okay, let me just stop at this Wendy's really quick. Cause I don't have the food at home, but how mm-hmm. can eating healthy be faster and easier than fast food? So I have a bit of an engineering brain. So I used to be a marine <laughs> engineer, right? So I, I like to make things efficient. So I, I think about, okay, first of all, how am I going to construct a standard healthy meal? It's going to have a lean protein. It's going to have some vegetables. It's going to have some carbohydrates, you know, quality mm-hmm. carbohydrates, basically. Mix and match sauces and spices and flavors and things to change up and bring some variety into it. And so I think, well, if I go to McDonald's, for example, how long am I going to spend in the drive-thru lineup? I don't know about uh, where, where you're at, but up here, you could be 10, 15 minutes just in the just getting to like the queue. It's crazy how people yeah. spend time in the drive-thru lineup. And then, you know, you think it's kind of cheap, but you're spending before you know it, 10, 15 bucks on, on like a fast food meal. And I'm like, man, that 15 bucks could buy me a pork roast, a bag of frozen vegetables, and a bag of rice. Mm-hmm. And then I could make multiple meals out of that too. But now I like the idea of outsourcing my cooking to my appliances. So the ones that don't require any observation. Yeah. So, okay, cool. I'm going to throw, uh, maybe my meat goes in the air fryer, my rice goes in the rice cooker, and my veggies go in the oven to be roasted. That takes five minutes. Mm-hmm. Just set the timers and walk away. And I could probably go work out before I eat too. While my stuff is cooking and come back and I've got a meal waiting for me and I probably have leftovers for another meal. Mm -hmm. So it's, how do you make the process simple? One frozen veg. I don't always use them, but I mean, my freezer is full of them. Why? Because someone's already done the prep work. 
Yeah. <laughs> they're literally they're, they're already cut shape ready. They hold their nutrient value, which is really fantastic. I roast them at high heat in order to sort of evaporate the moisture faster so they're not quite as mushy. And you get a little more like roasty flavor. And I used all I have like 25 different spice blends that I'll use to to cover them with. You know, and I could roast some potatoes or something like that with it and literally like stab a fork into a potato and stick it in the oven and you have a yeah. big potato. Like it's, it's <laughs> I mean, like let's not overcomplicate this here. So it's getting over this idea that I have to make these gourmet meals and things like that. And I'm like, no, you don't. You don't. Mm-hmm. You can make it really, really simple. So, you know, the other thing I'll do is is maybe we go to like we have a wholesale, something called Wholesale Club up here, very similar to Costco. We have Costco as well, but, you know, buy some you know, sliced pork chops in bulk and just put two chops in a Ziploc bag, put it in the freezer and just, just bag them all up like that. So we can just grab them out of the freezer, you know, maybe throw them in the instant pot, steam them, and then toss, you know, that kind of thing. But the whole point of this is I can outsource cooking to my appliances. Well, I don't have to watch them. So the time that that food is being prepared, I can go do whatever I want. If you want to watch something on Netflix, you can. If you want to work out, you can. You don't have to think about it until everything goes beep. And then you go, <laughs> oh, it's done. Yeah, and now I got leftovers. So tomorrow, all I actually do is stick this in the microwave or stick it in the oven and reheat. And when you make it that easy, you're like, oh, okay, like health eating. I've kind of you know got over this idea that I have to prepare these gourmet meals and slave over the you know or or international meal prep day where you're making meals for seven days. Like no one wants to do that on a Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the same way, and it's funny because you know my my wife is someone who likes more variety in her meals. And what's interesting is I always ask, okay, desire and necessity. Mm-hmm. Do we need all the variety within our meals or or is it a desire? And mm-hmm. hey, I'm also the kind of person where I can make baked chicken and I put the chicken in the, the sheet and I'll bake it and then I'll put some some adobo on one, I'll put some chili powder on the other, and I'll yeah, put yeah. some buffalo sauce on the other. I was like, I got three types of chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the rice cooker is going. But sometimes yeah. the reality is lowering our standard a little bit and changing our palate. Mm-hmm. We get so conditioned to these processed foods, these high, yeah, yeah. these high sodium meals and this high sugar, like sugars mm-hmm. and so many things. And yeah. our palate ends up changing. And when we first, when we first taste certain foods, it just tastes so bland to us, but yeah. it's because we've conditioned ourselves mm-hmm. to consume high sodium, high sugar, which is in fact playing into that whole weight loss scenario. Yeah. But as we're coming up towards the end, we know how important nutrition is to weight loss and, and to healthy lifestyle, maybe an active lifestyle as well. But what are some of the like the non-food and non-exercise factors that could impact mm. our health? Because this is like you mentioned, holistic. Yeah, yeah. So w- nutrition, obviously, nutrition activity play a really important role. But you need to manage your stress. Now you need to do it proactively because twenty-first century life is inherently stressful. So. In other words, like staring at screens all day is neuroexcitatory for our brain, for example. So when we recognize that, okay, it's inherently stressful to live in the 21st century. We're also exposed to news news feeds 24 hours a day telling us all the terrible things happening in the world and so on. So we have to take proactive steps to manage our stress because all the knowledge in the world does nothing when we just trigger our primal brain, which goes, I just want to escape this uncomfortable feeling. So recognizing what is, we would call it like a parasympathetic activity, if you want the technical term, you know, whether it's, you know, cuddling with your partner, going for a walk, but just a slow, relaxing stroll, you know, cuddling your pet, having a bath, like soaking in a hot tub, things that, you know, feel very, very relaxing for your nervous system are really, really important. Otherwise, you know, we end up being stuck, sort of being triggered emotionally all the time. 
Mm -hmm. And again, our knowledge can't save us when we're triggered emotionally. Uh, sleep, <laughs> sleep is crucial. And it goes, this, this whole screen time thing and screens at night is just killing our quality of sleep. Yeah. And so when we don't sleep well, now I have a toddler, so I don't sleep all that well, but <laughs> you know, that's a fact that's a little bit outside of my control. So we make the best, whatever our situation is, but when we don't sleep well, our ability to digest food changes and we are more likely to store carbohydrates as fat. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that carbs are necessarily evil are going to make you fat, but when we're sleep deprived, it's also more difficult to regulate our emotions. So again, to regulate our impulsive decision-making. So we take care of stress and sleep quality that makes the nutrition and activity a whole lot easier. Mm. All of that goes into play in how we live our lives and kind of going off topic here, because I would be remiss not to touch on this because with the journey that you've been on and mm. so many folks have already learned so much in the past 30 minutes here, you know, for someone who might be listening here and they might think to themselves, this is a daunting journey, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm looking in the mirror or I'm listening to this podcast. I'm watching it on YouTube and I'm just like, man, I don't know if I can, if I could do this journey because, because of where I'm at, you know, for the listeners, just, just so they know a little something about Jonathan is, you know, you've actually have lost your life savings yeah, and had yeah. to rebuild from, from nothing. And one of my, my favorite poem my dad gave to me is if poem by Rudyard Kipling. And one okay. of the lines in it is, you know, if you can watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build it back up for, with worn out tools. And it goes on and on to other things, but it finishes up with, you know, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And what's more is you'll be a man, my son. But yeah, that's a huge a part of it where it's like, you know, the things you give your life to broken, which I want to say, first and foremost, the people listening right now, we might have periods of brokenness, but that doesn't make us broken people. Mm -hmm. It's not an identity to hold on to. So you are not broken. I want you guys to know that, but there is a journey to be had. And I just kind of want to shed some light on what your journey was like rebuilding from the ground up and how it was going through that. So hopefully someone listening can get some, some motivation to take on this journey themselves. Yeah. First of all, I mean, so I had a business, I had a business partner, crooked accountant. I was taken for a ride, you know, that sort of thing. Left holding the bag. When a bailiff showed on the door and was like, you know, the rent hasn't been paid in six months. I'm like, I don't know what was happening to that money. Man. Yeah. There's a whole story behind that. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that for a different episode. Part but two. essentially, Yeah. <laughs> I remember walking out of that business and walking across the parking lot to catch the bus home and being like, what am I going to tell my wife? Mm. You know, I spent like years of my life trying to build up this asset that I thought was going to be a productive business asset for us that I was going to grow, you know, so that I didn't have to be in it all the time. And so I poured like extra hours and extra time and really sacrificed time and my health, you know, and time with my wife to try to build this business, thinking I was building a better future and to have all of that taken away. And then be left for the mountain of debt hmm. was, it was pretty devastating. So I think the first step is actually to mourn, to grieve because to grieve the, the future that isn't going to be. And I think we kind of suck at grief in, in Western <laughs> culture. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, speak for myself really, but you know, that's a type of death and loss in a sense. It's not necessarily losing a person, but it's losing a future. It's losing my identity. You know, I, I'd become the face of that business. Like, so really giving place to all of those feelings. And that's not to say, you know, set up camp, you know, pity camp for, for months at a time, but give place to those feelings. Cause if you don't, they're going to keep coming back. 
So give place to them so you can process them and move through them. The only way we move move through emotions is to process them. Mm-hmm. So you got to give place to them. But there's, there's something really liberating about losing everything and having nothing left to lose. So I was I was probably aware that this business was going in an unhealthy direction, but I didn't know what to do. I was stuck because I was clinging to this idea. I was going to try and at least get my investment back before parting ways with my business partner. That opportunity never came. It was ripped away from me before that could ever happen. So I was stuck probably in a difficult situation for longer than I should have been because cling to what might've been. Mm. So I was in denial for quite some time. And so it's like, once it's gone, it's gone. So now I'm, I, have no, I have nothing to hold on to because it's been ripped away. So there's a certain liberation that comes with that. And I go, well, I really can't stand the thought of going back to being an employee again. And for anyone out there who's an employee, that, that, that's totally, you know, this is not me knocking being an employee. It's yeah. just for me, you know, I just have a really hard time because I'm, I'm very creative and innovative and I like building businesses <laughs> and being an employee, you know, that wasn't a fit. So I was like, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that thing that I've been talking about wanting to do, but not doing because I was strapped in this business. And so I decided that I was going to build something that somebody couldn't take away from me. So I started building my nutrition coaching business mm. and uh, really just started small. I just started writing content, trying to help people. So I, I figured the best way to demonstrate you can help someone is to actually help them. Like <laughs> we make it out to be like so complicated sometimes when it comes to sales and business. It's like, let me just show you that I can help you. And then you'll you'll hire me to help you more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the, yeah. <laughs> try and build that framework and this is what I can do. And this the other thing yeah, where yeah. it's like just provide value <laughs> and see yeah, what happens. Yeah. <laughs> And so it's it's grown into into something really really cool. And now I'm at the place where I actually mentor other coaches and teach them how to do this because I think it's even even the world of mentorship is just filled with what I would call predatory sharks, basically, yeah. who are set to sort of emotionally manipulate people to get them into their their programs and then just leave them high and dry. And this has happened to me in the rope process. And so I kind of quietly threw my hat in the ring and started teaching people how to do this like the right way. And so advertisers that do this it's all it's all like word of mouth but it's one of my favorite things to do because there's only so many people i can help as an individual yeah but if i can mentor someone i can create a ripple effect and so that's really really exciting the things we do in life echo in eternity from one of my favorite movies (laughs) gladiator but that answer actually shaped out even more perfectly than i could imagine because you know, kind of everything we've been talking about, you coaching people through emotional eating and anyone who might be looking on that journey and they they want to change their path, you know, the thought process of losing everything and having to start and build anew. I love how you mentioned, you know, it gave you the freedom to try that thing you've always wanted to do. But something else you said was mourning the loss, because if I'm being honest, when it comes to the person who's about to jump on this journey of maybe trying to lose some weight or change their their relationship with food, your old self is going to have to die for your new yeah. self to live. And yeah. there is a loss in that process. And luckily we have the demand to help us through it. Jonathan McLernan, I would love for our audience to have a way to connect with you, follow up with you. If anyone's listening and they're looking to lose their weight and never find it again, <laughs> how can folks get in touch? freedomnutritioncoach.com. So that name comes from a client who said, I don't want to live in nutrition prison anymore. (laughs) And so yeah, freedomnutritioncoach.com podcast as well called Between the Before and After, where I share inspiring stories of people overcoming massive obstacles in life, Mm -hmm. which I think is pretty cool as well. Or you can just look me up on 
and, and well, you can look up Freedom Nutrition Coaching. You'll find me on, on all the socials, but you can just look me up on Facebook and add me as a friend. I'm a pretty, pretty social, easygoing guy. So I think we'll, we'll throw all the links in the show notes as it is, but yeah, it'd be a pleasure for people to reach out and connect. Absolutely. I will have those links in the show notes. And Jonathan, I appreciate your expertise. I appreciate you sharing your story with us because so many of us go through these trials and tribulations in life, or so many of us might think we're the only ones that have this problem. We think our problems are our own and that's just not the case. So by sharing your journey, you're giving somebody else the courage to kind of resolve theirs. And I hope that people can jump into that. So thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you. And I would just add one last note. I've never met a remarkable person who had an easy life. <laughs> I agree with that. And, and I'm going to actually recap some of the some of the gems you left along the way for anybody who might have been listening in the car, maybe cleaning their house and haven't been able to jot down some notes as I have. But, you know, I can't keep doing this. One thing we started with was when we get to a point where we're, we just realize this isn't it. And usually that's the point in which we want to start changing things. And as Jonathan alluded to is we try and change it aggressively and quickly. And that leads to the pursuit of these fad diets that just quite frankly, might not be the best tool to undo what took years to accomplish and years to do. Didn't feel safe in my own head. That's a dangerous place to be for so many of us. And if you can relate to that feeling, I want you to know that it is okay. And there is a solution on the other side, but there is a process and there's there's a desire to want to change. I got help. So many of us resist that point. We resist the admittance of needing help. And it's okay to need help because in order to be strong, you must first be weak. I'll admit today in my workout, I was bench pressing and I failed and somebody had to run across the gym to lift the weight off my chest. Before I left, I shook his hand. I said, hey, thank you for the save, man. He said, yeah, hopefully you got me next time. I don't mind failing because that's how we get stronger is by being weak. I hated myself. If you look in the mirror and you have those feelings, just know that when you build that list, loving yourself has to be on it. And self-love isn't about taking the bubble baths. It's, it's not about getting the mani petties. It's it's about doing the little things that your body and your, your heart really needs. It's about taking care of drinking the water to stay hydrated, taking care of your sleep, taking care of your stress. And of course, paying close attention to what your body wants and what you enjoy. Understand without judgment and have patience when you want to show compassion, simplifying the process. Eating healthy doesn't have to be complicated. It could be easy. And then managing your stress and then freedom. You have the freedom to start that new thing. If you're holding on to your old identity, you can mourn the loss of who you used to be and enjoy the abundance of who you are becoming. Jonathan McLernan, I appreciate you. Expert emotional eating coach. If you guys got value from this episode, be sure to connect with Jonathan. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button so you can get a new episode each and every single week of The Modern Man. The best compliment you can give us is by sharing this episode with somebody you know who could benefit from it as well. And we have these episodes each and every single week. Leave us a rating to let us know how we're doing so we know that we can improve. I appreciate you guys rocking with us all the way to the end. And hopefully your journey continues. And as we always say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get that pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow.